This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 6th of July, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And with me tonight is author and retired principal, Dr. Jill Berry. On tonight's show, we'll be looking at how you can make the best of your summer holidays. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the show. Well, it's getting close to that time of the year, isn't it? The summer holidays, the time when all teachers live for. Mind you, I'm just looking out here at nine o'clock on the Thursday in July. Here we are in Northern Ireland, and you certainly would not think it's summer. It's been raining all day. We had the heat on for an hour earlier, but then that's fairly typical, maybe, of a summer in Northern Ireland. Of course, here in Northern Ireland, Ireland and some other places, teachers are already on their summer holiday. As you heard in the introduction there with me this evening is Dr. Jill Berry. Jill, you are a former principal, like myself, you're retired now. Are you there? Are you on the other side? I am. I'm on the other side. (laughs) I mean that in the best sense, of course. (laughs) I've got you now. I can hear you. Can you hear me clearly? Thanks, Paul. Good, 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 good. So, Jill, you're a retired principal. What was that like for you being a principal? I loved it, Paul. It was the best job I did. I had a career for 30 years in schools and teaching English, leading at different levels. And I can honestly say that the job of of head was the best job I had. And I had more joy, more positive experiences in headship than any other role. Great. Yeah. Super. What were some of the things that you find really enjoyable? I think I felt very much that I was in the right place. It was a school that I could fall in love with and I felt very at home there. And I felt very proud of the school community. So when I was a new head, I made the decision to go to lots of events just to to get to know and to be known and to be a presence. And it was just so that it became what I did in my headship. I was the head who turned up at lots of different things and felt very pleased with the students and the staff going the extra mile. And it was just, for me, it was just the right job in the right place at the right time. So I will enthuse about headship to anyone who will listen and even some who won't, because I do think it's still the best job in a school. I agree with you, yeah. And that's very much what we're about on this programme. Really just a, a platform for uh, outstanding practice. Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds great. So uh, you are retired now and you have the benefit then of uh, hindsight. Do, do you think headship is changing nowadays? I think... Although I, I did step back from, from full-time headship in 2010, I'm still 
quite involved in the world of education. So I do quite a lot of leadership development work and consultancy work, and I'm often working with aspiring heads or new heads. Um, I think headship has always been challenging. The challenges change in different periods, but I don't think the job has fundamentally changed a huge amount. I did a doctorate I'd finished my headship um, and I looked at the challenges involved in making the transition into headship and in my reading and research looking at things written about moving to headship in the 80s the challenges that my research partic participants were facing in 2013 were not dramatically different and looking at different countries different contexts different cultures it's still about working to get the best out of people and to serve the school to the best of your ability so yes I think there are changes and there have been some particularly dramatic recent changes but in many respects headship is, is still a similar job to the job it's as it's always been done I would say yeah and just listening to you Jill uh, it's very much a, a people job is that how you see it I think all leadership is about people because it's about building the capacity and confidence of those that you lead, um, trying to help them to be their best professional selves, giving them the right balance of support and constructive challenge so that they aim high and the team is very successful and the school is successful. It is about relationships, it's about communication, but it's also about action, what you do as a leader, what you choose not to do. Um, but yes, it, it is it is about people. And I th think that's why it's such a fulfilling job. And teaching, of course, is the same. It's about people. It's about working to get the best from your students. So you're developing your leadership skills from your first day in the classroom, I would say. Very definitely. Yeah, we have a document here in Northern Ireland. It's called the Learning Leaders Document. And it, it it's very much about making a strong and deep case that everybody, no matter what level you're at in the school, everybody is a leader. And I, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's very true. Your children in your class certainly look to you for, for leadership and guidance. Yeah. Yes, so, so the trajectory, use... sorry, yeah, go ahead. The, the skills you use in the classroom are leadership skills. You're motivating, you're inspiring, you're modelling, scaffolding, holding to account, um, but encouraging and enthusing. So, yeah, you are developing as a leader. And if you then decide you want to go on and lead some of your colleagues, your peers, in addition to still leading learning in the classroom, you're already on the way to developing the, the leadership strategies and skills that you need. Very definitely. Yes, I think that's very clear um, to a lot of people. Yeah. And, and your classroom is, you know, it's a good nursery for leading adults later on if you get the chance to do it. Yeah. I think so. Mm. So the, the trajectory you said, you know, from the 80s to, you know, the 2010s or whatever hadn't changed that much. If we project into the future, do you see headship changing much? I think there are always specific challenges in any in any time frame. So I didn't lead a school through COVID and I have huge respect for those who did. Um, looking at the challenges that we're facing now to do with making sure a real emphasis on being 
inclusive in our schools in the light of things like Black Lives Matter and everyone's invited and sexual harassment and gender identity and mental health issues. There are all sorts of challenges emerging and and heads working together with their governors and their senior teams and the rest of the school community have to do the best they can for the pupils and the families that they serve. And so I think there are always challenges and there will be in the future and we can't necessarily anticipate what those challenges will be. But I have to say, Paul, I think schools are so much stronger now than they were 40, 40 years ago, or certainly when I was at school 50 years ago. We know so much more about how to make teaching and learning successful. We're far more research informed. We know more about what motivates learners. And I think we know a lot more about what makes effective leadership as well. So, so yes, there are challenges and there will continue to be challenges, but I think there are many reasons to feel hopeful about education in 2023, don't you? Uh, very definitely, yeah. Uh, really absorbed listening to you there. I think you're exactly right, yeah. Uh, we've come a long way. Um, and I suppose one of the things, just listening to you, that makes me wonder then, if we know a lot more about teaching and learning and how it happens, I just wonder then, is the curriculum fit for purpose nowadays? Does that maybe need to shift along with our, you know, newfound expertise, insights and so on? I think it's shifting all the time. I think there's been an incredible emphasis on curriculum in, in the last few years and a lot of really good work going on. So I think we are looking afresh mm -hmm. at what is the, the focal point of, of each subject area and how can we make sure that the curriculum is fit for purpose, um, that it speaks to all our learners and encourages that inclusivity and belonging in, in every learner in the classroom. So I think we're making progress. And I think that will continue. So I think curriculum design and development and implementation is a very exciting part of what's going on in our schools at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So teaching then, as, as I'm listening to you, you know, I'm really getting a sense for the breadth and the depth and the kind of scope uh, that your experience of teaching is. And, you know, you were in a very senior leadership position for a very long time. Surely that carries stresses with it as well. I would agree that, that teaching and leadership are, are potentially stressful. Um, it's not for the faint hearted. You need no. to build your resilience over time. Um, and, and interestingly, I, when I look back, I was a much more resilient school leader in my 10th year of headship than I was in my first year of headship. And that was just because with experience and growing confidence and and a feeling that, gosh, I've never faced this before, but I've faced things I've never faced before in the past and I've managed to find a way forward. So I do think that you develop your capacity to deal with the stressors. I think at the moment, underfunding is causing a lot of stress for school leaders, and that includes the external support that's available. So for example, with students with mental health issues or special educational needs, there are huge stresses around teacher recruitment and retention, people struggling to get the staff that their schools need and deserve. The whole accountability inspection pressure is, is a very live issue at the moment and, and also time management and workload. So it, 
it is a stressful job and we all need to develop strategies to deal with stress and i know that's one of the things we're we're talking about tonight paul how can we give ourselves the best possible chance of making a very positive job of this and and navigating whatever issues and challenges faces including the issue of finding balance and using holidays to refresh and re-energize so that when a new school year starts we're actually we're sufficiently relaxed and and, and ready to take the next stage of the the adventure so yeah it's it's challenging but it's not impossible challenging but not impossible is right yeah and we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to come on to holidays in a minute but you said something there that that really struck me um I, and i'm going to put my words on it it really is um the job is also you know an opportunity for the personal development and growth of the teacher. And I think that's a very vital aspect of the job. I remember an old mentor of mine saying, you know, one of the things you're going to like about teaching Paul is the opportunities that it gives you to grow as a person, you know, in confidence, in in reliance, in creativity, in enterprise, and so on. I think that's a very powerful aspect of the job. Mm. Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, as I say, that's very wise. Interestingly, because I do a lot of work with with aspiring leaders, so aspiring middle leaders and aspiring senior leaders and aspiring heads. And when I talk to them about what motivates them to think about moving to the next level of leadership, sometimes it is the appeal of stepping up to a challenge. I think I can do this. I want to prove to myself that I can do it. And I know that I will grow as a professional and as a person in the process. So I think you, you do, because teaching is... It's something, it's about who you are, isn't it? Not just what you do. A lot of your own personal identity is in there. And generally, people, we want to be our best selves, don't we? We want to be the best version of ourselves. And teaching certainly gives us the opportunity to find out what that is and then to to fulfil that that ambition. I think it's a wonderful job. And I hate it when people talk down teaching because I think... It, it can be an amazing experience. It isn't easy. But for me, I had far more good days than bad ones, far more positive experiences than negative ones in every job I had, I would say. I would agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it is the nature uh, of teachers and teaching and education that, you know, the zeitgeist of the day is a little bit of teacher bashing. And, you know, because of the job we do and the way we do it, we're maybe not as good as we ought to be at being assertive and standing up for ourselves in that way. But, yeah, yeah, no, it's very good. I think I I don't disagree, but I also remember in COVID, there seemed to be a lot of people who suddenly had a heightened understanding and respect for what teachers are doing. It was was maybe homeschooling that that made some people realise, actually, this is a lot harder than I realised. And... And I think that there was a sense that I, I just think in COVID, teachers and schools were amazing and, and what they achieved, what they took on, what they learnt, um, not just not just educating remotely, but feeding families and offering huge emotional and psychological support. I think I think the profession came into its own and I think there was an awful lot to be to feel proud of and and there there were people who appreciate 
appreciated that, I think. I think you're spot on on that. And also another thing that impressed me was the agility with which, you know, the entire country shifted, you know, on a given day in March, I think, was it the 22nd of March or whatever, uh, we're told schools are closing. And, you know, I think by the Tuesday of the following week, we had whole programs of of online teaching in place. We had, uh, you know, the children of carers in the building. We'd all sorts of rotas going on, so on. That agility uh, to to move with such swift swiftness was uh, really mm-hmm. impressive. It was amazing, and and the speed with which we embraced technology as we needed to, because we needed to, um, yeah. just showed what schools and and teachers and leaders could achieve. So yeah, a lot to feel proud of. A lot to feel proud of about the the tremendous the Trojan work that teachers do, but. Here we find ourselves at the end of yet another school year. It's hard to believe, Jill, because I'm looking out. What is it now? It's 20 past nine on a Thursday evening. And you would really, apart from the fact that it's bright, you'd think it was the dead of winter. It's raining so much. It's cold. I had the heat on today. But anyway, teachers do need their holidays, don't they? They do. And I have have to say it's it's been sunny and warm here in the midlands paul so sorry about that i know in in the midlands in england it's been a beautiful day (laughs) and we'll get the warm weather back next week i think i know i'm sitting watching wimbledon and i'm really envious of the the sunshine and the heat and everything tomorrow it's going to be baking hot tomorrow i'm looking forward to it already oh good 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 yeah so what are some of the best ways then for teachers to to unwind to leave the year behind? I think it's important that we have a sense of proportion and perspective. I quite often say that that teaching and leading in schools, it's an important job, but it is a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not our whole life. It's not the sum total of who we are. And I think one of the problems with people not being able to switch off is that they feel constantly on call, constantly um, accountable and responsible. And I, I did say before teaching, it, it's it's about who we are, not just what we do. However, if your personal identity and your professional identity become almost fused so that you are your work and your work is your life, it's not very healthy and it's actually not sustainable. So I think it is about recognizing that it's really important that we do switch off because we will be better teachers and leaders if we do that. When we go back after a holiday and we feel refreshed, we will do a better job. So I think first of all, it's accepting that the most effective teaching and leadership isn't a result from working to the exclusion of all else. Mm-hmm. And we have to find balance. We have to blend work and life. I think blending in a way is is better than talking about work-life balance as if they were two sides of a scale. It's about how our work and our life integrate so that actually we do the best job we can. And that involves having a proper break and rest and finding time when we don't even think about school. That I think is the key to getting the best out of not just any holiday, because I think we actually have to be able to switch off regularly throughout the term so that we don't just work like Trojans all term, collapse in the holidays, have a holiday, go back and start all over again. I think we need to pace 
themselves very carefully. And yet that happens, Jill, doesn't it? Um, and of course, we don't believe every word we, we read on Twitter, but you do see messages uh, from teachers, you know, uh, and the gist of it is, you know, here's the summer, I can find myself again. Um, and that, yeah. that kind of thing. And I always do think, you know, that's not unhealthy. Uh, that is unhealthy. I think it's interestingly, I did a, a professional review for a senior leader in a school last year, and I spoke to the business manager in the school who hadn't worked in a school before. And he said, can you just tell me something? He said, I haven't worked in a school before. But it seems to me that during term time, people drive themselves incredibly hard. By the time they get to the end of the term, most of them are in a state of collapse. They recover a bit over the holiday and then the next term starts and it begins all over again. Yeah. And I said, there is a tendency in schools sometimes to do that. And yeah. we are driving ourselves unsustainably hard. And we need to, we do need to pace. We do need to, to control and measure how we work. That all the, the, the research into the idea of rest says that it needs to be regular rest. <laughs> and I, I think often, I'm not sure my generation got that right. I'm hoping that the generation of teachers and leaders coming up through schools now have a, a better capacity to, to to take a break and to look after themselves. So I think my holidays were very important to me and I did used to re-energize in holidays. But I think in actual fact, there's a message here about making sure that we take regular rest through term time as well, so that we're not pushing ourselves mentally and physically to a, a an unhealthy degree. Do we need permission? To be able to do that, I, I'm, I'm just remembering back, you know, I mean, at the end of the term, you know, occasionally, like the principal and I would have spoken to the staff, maybe at a briefing uh, on the last day or an in-service or something. And, you know, we would have very sincerely wished the staff a very restful, a very happy and a very peaceful uh, midterm break or, or summer holiday or whatever it was. And I know some staff were always very appreciative and I, I kind of always felt if that hadn't been said, you wouldn't have had permission to kind of relax or switch off as much as you did. I think we have to give ourselves permission, though, Paul. A lot of people work very hard because they're driving themselves. So yeah. it isn't necessarily what the leaders are demanding. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to give ourselves permission. And it is about recognizing that we will do a better job if we do actually find the right balance and blend. Um, and I think leaders should be saying all that. Leaders should be showing appreciation and they should be doing everything in their power to make sure that they're not overloading their staff. But they also need to be modeling it. So if your leaders are working unsustainably hard, what message is that sending to the rest of the staff? If they're constantly present, you know, arriving very early, leaving very late, is it sending the right message about the importance of balance in our lives? Very true. But we're all responsible at the end of the day for finding our own balance. And I think one of the interesting things is that we need to accept that it's important to do it. It's vital to do it. How we do it will depend very much on what works for the individual. Yeah. So I wonder, could we look for a moment then at some of the things that might work for individuals? You know, I know I would be, you know, very much a fan of getting out and walking and 
you know, we're very much spoiled here where I live in Newcastle. You know, we have the mountains, the sea, the forests, the lakes and so on. So what might be some of the actual things that would help teachers to, to unwind? I didn't realise you were in Newcastle. I thought you were in Northern Ireland. Oh, we've a Newcastle in Northern Ireland as well. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yes. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I've learned something tonight. Thank you. Oh, we've got one um, here. Yes, with the mountains of Mourne sweep right. down to the okay. sea. <laughs> Fine. Um, I think the important thing is that there isn't a single way. There's no silver bullet. So we of all find not. our own ways. Yeah. But it is about, I think, absorbing yourself in something that, that really takes your mental energy so that you don't have the headspace to be kind of thinking about school and mulling over school issues and problems and rehearsing conversations and so for you yeah it may be walking for me um I, I'm a choral singer I sing with the choral society I love singing when Excellent. I'm singing when I'm learning new music when I'm rehearsing or performing there's no space in my head for anything else I really focus on that and actually, I find that hugely liberating and, and, and relaxing. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge reader. I'm, I was an English teacher. I read a lot. I read fiction every day. Yeah. Uh, and I motor through books. I'm, I'm quite voracious as a reader. And I find that absorbing. I find I can get very involved in the world of a novel. And it takes me out of myself. It gives me a, a respite and a relief from other things that might be circling through my head I, I like films i like drama series i like the theater go to a health club every day with my husband and he swims and i go in the gym and then i go in the jacuzzi and the sauna it, it's just for me i find that really relaxing but yeah. it's finding something that is absorbing so that you are really concentrating on that and you are not constantly thinking about school so it might be sport it might be exercise it might be any particular hobby or passion or voluntary activity. It might just be time with your family and your friends, but something Definitely. that is going to absorb you and give you a focus that is not to do with your professional life. And for goodness sake, switch off the notifications on your phone. Do not constantly interrupt other activities by being pulled by messages, emails, even tweets or about work it, it you don't want to be thinking about work you need to carve out time when you are not thinking about work at all so that you really are properly relaxing and refreshing and and it's it's all about balance again and it's about making sure that you don't feel you're indispensable you have to be constantly connected to your professional arena and i mean as, as a school leader as well you need to make sure that there are people, for me, it was my PA and my chair of governors who always knew how to contact me, you know, every day of the year, but they wouldn't contact me in holidays unless it was urgent. And having a, an SLT rotor so that we knew exactly who was the first point of contact for, for more routine inquiries. And we did that as an after-school rotor in term time as well. So working as a team, sharing the load, recognizing that if you're the head and something really serious happens it's always going to be you but that actually day by day holiday by holiday that we all work together to make sure that no one is is constantly on call and, and being contacted about school things it's really important gosh that's a fantastic template 
you've just outlined there, I think every school could could take your advice and, and apply that. Yeah. It's difficult now. It's hard. I think for many some... do, Paul. I hope I hope they do. Yeah. But it's making sure that you don't feel you're indispensable and it has yeah. to be you. You know, you're the only one who can deal with whatever might come up. That's actually quite arrogant. It's quite insulting to the rest of your team. You need to trust people. You need to build their capacity to deal with different challenges. And you need to work together and support each other. You know, people say headship is lonely. I was never lonely as a head mm -hmm. because I had great networks, great support, you know, a husband who deserves to be sainted upon his death. Um, and, and, and I felt I didn't feel alone. I, I knew I was responsible. I knew I had a big job, but I wasn't on my own. None of us is on our own. Yeah, and you so have important. to have yeah your your networks your support networks so that you've got people to talk to you've got people to consult you've got governors to support you and 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 that's how i think you make the job manageable and not completely overwhelming yeah yeah gosh that's that's fantastic it's great advice and it's it's so great i think that someone like you you know with the experience that you have um says that out loud and and listeners who are in positions of responsibility can think oh gosh yes i could model myself um on that template that you've just outlined yeah mm. um I, th I think when you were talking about um you know some of the things that we can do and i mean that was a a great picture as well you know if you're reading and, and we're going to come to books towards the end of the program and your exercise and swimming and so on. I actually was reminded of a book called The Art of Rest, and it's by the BBC radio journalist, Claudia Hammond. And I think it's 12 different things she goes through, but she uses the word you used a lot, and that's that word absorption. You must be absorbed in the things that you do in order to get proper rest, and they should be in some way different, maybe complementary, but certainly different to the very thing from which you want to be rested, if you see what I mean. So, you know, you know, for an example, you know, if you have an office, a desk job, she might recommend, you know, hill walking or something. Um, but it, it's interesting. Um, you know, what's also interesting is that Claudia Hammond was a former pupil of the school where I was ahead. No, um, was she? she came into school. Yeah, she came into school to to give a talk, and her nieces were were still in the school. I taught her nieces, so uh, yeah, Claudia Hammond, great. <laughs> Are those little things always fantastic? And I always think they kind of round out a school, and you know. <laughs> When somebody like that comes back and their nieces are there, you know, you quickly realize schools are not about league tables or they're not about end product results or summative marks or doing reports. They're much more human in their nature and their, their, their dimension and much more fun, they're, much they're more about, memorable. Yeah, they're about communities. Absolutely. Yeah. They're about communities. Interestingly, um, I remember in COVID fairly early on in, in 2020, um, Jeff Barton, who's the general secretary of, of the union ASCOL, yes. being quoted in a Guardian article and saying, we need to be asking ourselves what matters most. That, that was the key question, particularly in the early months of the pandemic, what matters most? And he said, what matters most, in his opinion, is the human stuff. That was his phrase, the human stuff. Well, he's absolutely right. And I quoted right. that a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. 
it is about the human stuff. So, yeah. you know, yes, it's about teaching and learning. Yes, it's about helping students achieve what they need to achieve so that doors are open to them and they have options in the future and they can take control of their lives. But you cannot do any of that unless you keep remembering the human stuff, the relationships, as you said before. And yeah, my, my school was a great community and, and that that reached back to 1882 and it reached forward, I hope, for hundreds of years to come and former staff and former students and people who'd been connected with the school and supported the school. And that was, again, one of the things that made it a real pleasure and a privilege to be the school leader yeah. just for a short time. You know, my tenure was 10 years. Um, I, I did my bit while I was there. I tried to leave the school stronger than I found it, but I was part of a, a huge community. Um, there was an amazing blog post by South Gloss Head um, this week or last week, I don't know whether you saw it, about Waka Papa. It's a fantastic blog post about how we really build on the, the shoulders of those who came before us, talking about his own school's history. It right. was incredibly moving and powerful. I'll send you a link, Paul, if you want to put it in the, the program notes. But yeah, it's this idea of, you know, we're, we are building on what went before and we have to be very careful to have a degree of humility about that and not mm -hmm. arrogantly to think that, you know, we are the Messiah who's come in here to, to transform everything. You know, there's a a legacy you inherit as a school leader that you need to be respectful of and then you need to leave the most positive legacy behind you when you finally move on. Jill, you've given us some fantastic insights. Absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, now I'm going to stop you midway because we do need to pause now and we need to listen to the news. But after the news, we'll come back, we'll pick it up where we are and Towards the end of the programme, we'll be recommending some holiday reading. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC reported on the high cost of school uniforms. Whilst this is nothing new, the current cost of living crisis has brought the issue back into focus. The charity, The Children's Society, claims in the report that parents are spending an average of £422 a year on secondary and £287 on primary uniforms. This is despite rules that were meant to lower the cost. The government commented that it was working to ensure uniform costs are reasonable. The BBC reports that some parents have said that they are having to choose between uniforms and holidays because prices have increased. The Children's Society said it had polled 2,000 parents across the UK 
and found that parents could be paying an average of £75 for coats and bags, an average of £63 for sports clothing and around £62 for school shoes. Under changes to the Education Act last year, schools in England are meant to be helping cut costs for parents. However, the Children's Society found pupils were still expected to have three to five branded items as part of uniform. Whilst many schools now offer pre-loved uniform to struggling families, parents and charities continue to say that more must be done. FE Week reports on the new NHS workforce plan, calling it a fantastic opportunity for the FE sector. In an opinion piece by Robert Halfen, the plan is claimed to put apprenticeships and skills training at the heart of the NHS workforce strategy. The FE sector already offers training for apprenticeships in a range of core healthcare roles, such as dental nurse, healthcare support worker and pharmacy technician. But the new plan seeks to broaden the range and routes into working for the NHS. The government has announced £40 million of funding over the next two years to help eligible providers expand degree apprenticeships. £48 million of funding is also backing the higher technical qualification in healthcare roles. The BBC features concerns about the number of nurseries closing in England, after more than 400 closed in the last year. The sector is blaming chronic underfunding and rising costs. The National Day Nurseries Association said the data raised serious questions about whether there would be enough places to deliver the government's promised expansion of free childcare. In the year to the end of March, the number of nurseries fell from 27,291 to 26,884, with the overall number of places dropping by 3,512. When childminders were included, the overall number of childcare places fell by 24,521. In March's budget, the Chancellor announced the extension of the current scheme, offering some families in England 33 hours of childcare per week for three to four-year-olds to cover younger children. The change would be phased in from April next year. Nurseries say the amount of government payment does not cover costs leading to closures for some businesses. A Department of Education spokesperson said that the picture was broadly positive, as the decrease in places was only 2% on last year, although it was recognised that there are some local challenges. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk VPN. For those of you thinking, why is Steve talking about underwear fashion faux pas? A VPN is a virtual private network, and knowing a little bit about them might make you realise you actually need one. What is it? Well, in a nutshell, a VPN changes how internet data is transmitted from a device. It allows the user to be more hidden. I know what you're thinking. I'm no cyber criminal. Why do I want to conceal my data? Well, let's look at three things a VPN can do for you. I'm going to use a phone as an example, but all of these can be applied to any device you can put on the internet. Do you use public networks? A public network may be the Wi-Fi on the bus or train, a local coffee shop or fast food restaurant, any connection that isn't your home. Transmitting data on these networks can potentially allow your data to be intercepted by third parties. 
Having a VPN allows you to encrypt your data from your device rather than depending on the network you're connecting to. So when surfing the web while enjoying a burger and fries, you can be confident if you're being intercepted, the data will be useless to the interceptor. The next is shopping online. When connecting to an online shop, some stores use your location and unique device ID to target you. If you're returning to look at a product, the likelihood is you're going to buy it. Knowing this, some stores use clever algorithms to increase the price to maximize their profit. With a VPN, you can mask this data so the price you see is the initial price. Third is some streaming services are blocked by internet providers or unavailable from outside of certain countries. If you're using a VPN, you can choose where to set your location to allow you to see the content you wish to stream. I've not looked at individual providers. Some are free, some are paid for. If you're unsure, find a friend who's using one, ask them about it, and use the same one as them to begin with. Then you get free tech support. Make sure you know the terms of service. You don't want the VPN you're using keeping your data, as that would defeat the object in the first place. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Hello and welcome back to the Lit Lit Show on Thursday, the 6th of July. You're listening to me, Paul Hazard, your host, and with me tonight is Dr. Jill Berry. Jill, are you still there with us? I am still here. Yeah. Great. Good to be with you. Good, 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 good. So Jill, you've given us some tremendous insights into uh, how schools and leadership, you know, could approach uh, the holidays and, and things that they could really do, things that teachers, practical things uh, they can do to um, get absorbed in lots of other things and make a really, really, you know, clean, clear break uh, from the work that they uh, they do. And that helps them, of course, to return in September energized and better able to manage stress and so on. What about, because we know it does happen some people do find it very difficult to switch off and they feel guilty and and so on. Is there anything in particular they could do? I think I was thinking about this beforehand. I used to say that guilt is a very unproductive emotion, really. But thinking about it, there are times when guilt can be quite motivating. So I am an inveterate list maker. I make lists all the time of things I want to do and and I have huge satisfaction in ticking them off. And sometimes if I have decided on a particular day, I'm gonna get on with something I need to do and, and I don't much feel like doing it, actually, I do tend to get it out of the way because I feel guilty if I don't. You know, If I've written it down, I've made a commitment to myself and if I don't do it, then I will feel a little bit disgruntled with myself. So yeah. a, a modicum of guilt is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you don't want it to become, obsessive and you certainly don't want guilt actually to be a barrier to getting on with things you know your energy is going into feeling guilty and anxious rather than actually mm. just just getting on with things so i think if you are a list maker one of the things i would say 
and I do make lists in the holidays of, mm -hmm. of things that I want to do on different days. So there are there are arrangements and appointments and lunches and whatever. But also I might well write down that I want to to get on with something creative or I want to read something specific. Make sure that your list includes pleasant, relaxing, restful, enjoyable things too. So it's not just work related. Yeah. And, and make sure that you do them and you tick them off and you feel a sense of achievement. And that is one way of, of coping, I think, with finding it difficult to switch off. You are actually intentionally deciding when you're going to do things that, that you will find refreshing and relaxing um i love emma turner says turn your to-do list into a ta-da list so that you actually feel proud of it and and a sense of achievement and accomplishment yeah and i think we need to be intentional I, I think my view is that if you look at the holiday in its entirety and you think when do I need to do some work? When am I going to go away? When am I going to spend time with people that I love? When am I going to do hobbies or interests or whatever? It's far better than just drifting through the days and thinking, oh, I've got some work to do. I've got some work to do. It's at the back of your mind. Yeah. But actually you haven't pinned yourself down to a particular time frame. And mm -hmm. I would always, the, the first couple of days after we break up, I would just, relax, sleep, catch up on sleep, just just really power down. But then I usually spend a few days at the beginning of a holiday catching up, sorting things out, mm -hmm. um, clearing things that I wasn't able to clear at the very busy end of term. And I felt much better mentally. I felt much better when that was sorted. But then over the holiday, the rest of the holiday, I'd decide how many days I need to work and when they would be. And my family and friends knew when they would be. Yeah. So they respected that. And I would have certain days where I was just in work mode and I would, would work through my list. And, and, and on the days when I wasn't working, I didn't feel guilty because I'd already, I, I knew I'd planned it. I knew I could get the work done. I didn't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So it's just another way of, of trying to, to handle guilt. You do need to stick to the plan or if things go awry because the unexpected happens, you adjust the plan. You yeah. don't abandon the plan. It's just what we say to students about doing a revision schedule, really, isn't it? It is a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's actually very clever advice. Um, because on the whole, as teachers, we're very good at making lists. We like making lists. And we love ticking things off the list. So <laughs> it's a very good yeah. ploy, so I think. Use that, yeah. Yeah. Use that skill to, to help you make the most of the holiday. So across the holiday, you do have time when you're just, and, and you don't have to be doing things all the time. You know, sometimes you, you just need to be, <laughs> you just need to, I mean, I will sit in the sun happily reading a good novel. I mean, that's my idea of, of paradise and, and not feel guilty that I'm not dashing around and sorting things out because th those things will get done because there's a there's a kind of plan and again you know, be intentional about it i think that's very clever and insightful as well just just time to be because schools are extraordinarily yeah. busy as you know they're demanding and particularly you know as you, you get into leadership positions you know others are always looking to you and they want things done and your days can be frenetic and you can be really frazzled. I used to come home quite often from school and my father used to say to me, 
wasn't that a fantastic day? And I had to think, gosh, I didn't even see the day. And I might even have been outside on break duty or something, but you know, your head was going 100 miles an hour. You were thinking of what's happening. But I think that's very good just to be still, to be the still point mm, in, yeah. in your holiday. Very important, yeah. And allow but find that. those still points in turn time, Paul, as well. Find time oh, yes. just to be and to, to be still. And, and don't allow everyone else to dictate your priorities. Yeah. You, you will decide what you need to spend time on. Don't let people give you their problems. <laughs> if you, as a leader, your job is to help people sort their own problems, not to take problems from them. And if you're a capable leader and you want to be seen to be efficient, very tempting to end up just taking people's problems and sorting them out. And it's not up to us to fix people. It's up to us to help them. And I think it's counterproductive. Yeah, it's counterproductive when you do that. And I think people appreciate you helping them to the point where they can then use their own skills, attitudes, capabilities to manage their own issues. I think that's what real yeah. leadership is very, very good at doing. Yeah, it's, it's the teach someone to fish, isn't it? Rather than just give yeah. them a fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things all teachers know is that uh, the pace of time changes. And during holiday time, of course, it accelerates and the holidays always go in so quickly. Although I think we've got better at holidays since COVID. I think that helped us to, to manage ourselves. But we do, at some stage, always need to think about returning to school. And quite often, you know, there can be a dread or whatever. Is there any good, bad, better than other ways of facing those moments? I think it, it is, again, it's about pacing yourself and it's about balance. I mean, certainly in, in my latter leadership roles, uh, I was a secondary school teacher and leader. So when we got to A-level results, you had a feeling that you were getting to the end of the holiday, really. You were starting to power back up through A-level results and then the aftermath of that and then GCSE results and the repercussions of that. Yeah. Um, but that was fine because by then I felt quite rested because mm -hmm. I'd had plenty of, of time to, to do non-work things. Um, for me, quite often, just there were a couple of days just before the start of term when, when I used to try and go away again, just somewhere, just a mini break somewhere with my husband, just to, just to make sure that I didn't feel that I hadn't had that last stretch of the holiday but again different people will do this in different ways yeah um but you need to start the new term feeling that you're prepared feeling that you have done what needed to be done to make the start of term run smoothly because if you don't you're frenetic straight away and, and all the benefits of having re-energized and and rested seem to evaporate so it, it is about pacing yourself it's about finding that balance um and and doing that in a way that works for you and your family and your friends and your personal commitments so you've got professional responsibilities and you've got personal commitments and yeah. it all matters so yeah. how are you going to blend and, and fuse and balance the two mm -hmm. yeah no i think you're absolutely right and yeah you're reminding me there's actually quite a pattern to returning now and and there are those markers so to speak, you know, A-level results, GCSE results, 
uh, and so on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they do, they kind of ease us in or, or, or whatever. I know some teachers, they kind of go back early to dip their toe in the water, so to speak. And others wait until the last moment and it's a kind of, you know, plunge themselves into the cold water. But I think that also is, uh, it's a matter of an individual's, you know, how do you manage that? It is. And there are also expectations of, of schools. Certainly most of the primary teachers I know always felt the need to go in and just get their classroom ready, just get things sorted. Yeah. And they felt better when they'd done that. And, and again, there are no hard and fast rules, but the worst of all possible worlds is that you don't do it, the work, but you feel bad, you feel guilty, you feel anxious about not doing the work. That's kind of the worst of all, because the work isn't getting done, but you're not feeling relaxed either. Yeah. So it, it is about taking control of it, I think, and saying, I will make decisions, like you make decisions about when to check your emails, rather than just allow those to be pushed at you whether you're ready or not so I, I think I often feel Paul that we have more agency than we often give ourselves credit for mm -hmm. so sometimes we feel that we are you know, a pawn being pushed around a chessboard but in actual fact I think we do have more agency but we have to appreciate that and we have to make the most of it um, and we have to give ourselves permission as you said earlier not wait for someone else to give us permission yeah. give ourselves permission to find a balance that works for us our families our friends our passions our hobbies because work is a part of our lives and we need to keep reminding ourselves of that and we will be better teachers and better leaders if we do accept that work is a part of our lives it's yeah. an important part but it's not everything mm -hmm. yes so true so true so, Jill, um, we're going to move on now to another part of the programme. But just before we do that, just to round off this section, um, it's traditional now I ask a question about a magic wand. And that is, if you had a magic wand and you could only cast one spell, what change would you make to education that would significantly improve the lot of teachers? What I would do is ensure that everybody accepted and acted on this, that flexibility in the world of education is a huge strength, a huge bonus. There's a brilliant book called Flex Education by Lindsay Patience and Lucy Rose tweet and run a, a, an organization called flex teach talent oh yes yes i do know it yeah if i had a magic wand i'd get every head in the world to read it every matt ceo because i often feel that the people who most need to read it don't <laughs> because they feel they understand what flexible working is and that it won't work in education and it's not great for the children and the parents won't like it and it'll cost too much and it'll open the floodgates and it can't be timetabled. And the book is full of practical examples and case studies, which busts those myths and shows ways in which flexible working can be great for schools. It can be great for budgets and it can be great for individuals. It's not just young mums, not just women. Everybody can benefit from flexible flexibility at some stage in their career. It might be 
caring for elderly parents, it might be supporting a teenager who's going off the rails, it might be a health issue or a marriage issue or all sorts of things. So that would be my wish. Flexible working in education, everybody takes it seriously and adopts a how can we make this work attitude rather than a default, this is why it won't work approach. Super wish, Jill. Let's hope it comes true. <laughs> Now, we've come to the part of the program where we are going to recommend some summer reading. In case I didn't say earlier, not only is Jill an avid reader and she's told us she reads every day and so on, but she's also a writer. And she has written three, I think, novels, which you can find and we'll put a link to those in the, uh, in the show notes. So, Jill, what would you recommend? summer reading for teachers? The first thing I want to mention actually isn't a novel. Um, it's a book by Dr. Lucy Kelly called Reimagining the Diary. Came out this year. Um, I interviewed Lucy for the for the Myatt and Co. Uh, films for, for Educators Platform. Yeah. And it's based on a project where she worked with, with teachers using journaling really to help with reflection, but also to support well-being. It's a fantastic book, Paul. And I think there's a lot to be said for writing, for journaling, as a way of processing your experiences, encouraging you to be reflective, and actually helping you build your, your resilience and your strategies for relaxation. So Reimagining the Diary by Lucy Kelly. I think it's a brilliant book and it's a very easy read. It's a very entertaining read and I think it could make a difference to people's lives. I do keep a diary. I like journaling, but so I'm, I'm almost a convert to begin with. But I think what Lucy says is there are lots of different ways of keeping journals and diaries. It's not necessarily what you might think. You could do it with artifacts. You could do it with pictures. You could do it with a, a phrase a day or a gratitude record or whatever so i think that's brilliant in terms of fiction yes i wrote three short novels which are all published in one volume and i am thrilled that people are reading them and talking to me about them and reviewing them and recommending them to book clubs i, I am so proud of them and i feel a huge sense of achievement so if you like literary fiction and perhaps you particularly like quite concise novels um just have a look at the link but I've also started writing blogs which recommend fiction and I've just written one recently um really with a view to people thinking about what they might read over the summer holiday so have a look at my blog it's jillberry102.blog and I, I read lots of things and I recommend things I love literary fiction I love books about people and relationships and personal growth and I, I don't I don't read a lot of crime, but I know that's very popular and, and a, a good escape for lots of people. I don't read horror. I don't read much science fiction, but I love literary fiction. So have a look at the blog posts and see who I have to recommend. I think you had a couple of authors you wanted to recommend as well, Paul, didn't you? And we'll put all the links to all the books and everything we've mentioned. We'll put that into the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, Yes, yeah, uh, we would, and we would have very similar tastes, and I'm going to recommend two 
writers really, maybe not so much individual books, but one is a guy called Steve Kavna. Now, Steve's from Northern Ireland here as well. He was a solicitor and he's written a series of books about a solicitor, Eddie Flynn. Uh, now, they're really dazzlingly clever books, very strongly plot driven, and you really do get forcefully committed to the world of the main characters uh, and their dilemmas and, and so on. Deceptively simple books, but there is a huge amount of, uh, of depth to them. And uh, if you know Steve and, and you're fond of his novels, he has a new novel coming out in August, so can't wait for that. Um, the second uh, writer I will recommend, and this is much more of a treat for, you know, it's, it's a different kind of a read. It's John Banville. And in particular, I'm going to recommend The Lockup, which is the third of a trilogy of novels. Or if you like, it's the ninth of a series of novels because John Banville used to write under the name Benjamin Black. And then a few years ago, he decided he would come out from behind the pseudonym and use his real name. So this is really the ninth in a series. Of course, they can all be read uh, as standalone novels. But John Banville's work would be much more literary and be much more character driven. It's much more about the, uh, you know, the, the relationships and the dynamics of the character. In fact, the plot is almost just a coat hanger on which... He can write about uh, characters and their relationships and, and so on. But yeah, I've read some John Banville. I like John Banville. I haven't come across Steve Kavanagh, but I, I will look that up. But I, there are a number of Irish writers that I really like. Yeah. Um, and, and have recommended in my, my blog posts. So uh, people like Niall Williams. And so, yeah, good. Great stuff. Excellent. Well, Jill, it has been absolutely great talking to you. You've been really enlightening in terms of uh, how we can end a year, how we can spend our summer holidays and how we can return to school energized, bright and ready for the, the, the new year. I hope so. And I wish any teacher or leader listening to this a very successful summer break. You deserve it. My goodness, you're worth it. So look after yourselves and, and return in the autumn term ready and raring to go because you've had a proper holiday excellent and jill on that note we'll end and thank you very much bye now paul thank you for inviting me it's been a pleasure bye